everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce, and I'd like to welcome my guest to the show today, Matt Wampler, who is the CEO and co-founder of ClearCogs. Hey, Matt, how are you? And thanks for being on the show. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Sean. Yeah, super excited to talk more about your business. But before we do that, so that our audience can learn a little bit more about you and your background, would you mind going into some detail? Yeah. So CEO and co-founder over at ClearCogs, we help restaurants operate a little bit more profitably through machine learning and data. So, uh, you know, I got started on this journey through restaurants. I started, took over my first restaurant at 21. Some guy had run it into the ground and needed a patsy to sign on the lease. And, you know, better part of the decade later, I moved into analytics and started ClearCox. That is a remarkably brief but powerful story that I would love to know a little bit more about. And you said a few things there that really... Uh, triggered something that I'd love to learn a little bit more about as well, too, right away. And it was the first one, I think, was you help r restaurants run more profitably. Can you talk to us a little bit more about how you do that? Yeah. So I was Jimmy John's franchisee for the better part of the decade. And I think that a lot of people that aren't in the restaurant industry don't quite understand how much of it's played by feel. So we're a sandwich chain. We make bread throughout the day. That was totally played by feel. I feel like we're getting busy. You know, it's sunny out. It's Friday. I'm going to bake more. You know, it was an art, but it, it wasn't a very accurate art. So once I got into programming and analytics and all of that, one of the things that I found is if we can use data to systematically answer some pivotal operational questions, it would make a meaningful difference in the restaurant industry. So the first question we went to go solve was, Jimmy John's related question. Two hours prior to close, I'm an assistant manager. Do I need to bake more bread? Do I need to throw in another cycle? So what we do at ClearCogs is synthesize all of that data down. We look at the day of the week, the month of the year, your short-term trends, yearly seasonality, long-term trends, all these external data points just to figure out for this store, the magic number is 18 sticks of bread. And it's you know, it seems like a small thing, but just answering that one question, we were able to decrease bread waste by 52% for our Jimmy John's clients. So what we do at ClearCogs is that just for all of the numbers and, you know, questions that our operators face every day. Fascinating. Isn't it amazing when you're leveraging data-driven decision-making, how dramatically different the experience can be? You know what? Um, it is. It is. Um, I think actually the most fascinating thing, everyone knows like, hey, if you do the money ball numbers thing, you can come up with the perfect answer. But the magic really isn't in that. It's posing the right question, you know, dumbing it down to the point where it's like, I can make a true cost benefit trade off, you know, decision and get a simple number out of it. So, you know, we developed a slider actually, that literally allows, you know, a uh, restaurant to slide between, you know, how much waste they're going to have, you know, the cost of the waste versus the risk of the stock out, where they can literally just see it like, oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm okay with this situation. That's perfect for me. It's, it's a little, it's, it's more about the implementation side of it, almost than the data itself. Super interesting. And something I'd add to that as well, too, I think to your point, right, is that's going to ebb and flow over time. So if you come up with like almost like a balance sheet approach where you figure out the perfect number for a point in time, that may not be particularly relevant because you got all these variables and they're going to change too, right? So you really need to track it 
and then adjust accordingly. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's about understanding the ramifications. So like first question everybody asks is like, what if a bus shows up? It's like, look, if a bus shows up, you're going to run out of bread either way. Right. I'm expecting you to run out of bread three times a year, six times a year, right? This is part of the game plan. But you now know I'm doing that because it saves me $5,000 a year. And it's worth $1,000 for each one of those runoffs. And, you know, I think that's kind of the gamification money ball of understanding that, that that's really the, the powerful thing. And that leads me to another question. I imagine this is how it works, but if it isn't, or if it's different, just let me know. But I imagine the system getting more intelligent as you get more data. So a whole predictive analytics element to it. If that's the case, confirm either way. But if that, if the, your system operates similarly to that, how do you, how do you navigate that conversation with your clients and prospects and get them to kind of understand that in terms of like the system starts at a baseline, but is expected to improve over time as we collect more data. Yeah. So first off, I'm the the restaurant guy. So I'm not the guy building the AI. I, I know enough to be dangerous on it. So take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt. The, the analogy that I use that resonates with our restaurant clients is this. What we do, your general manager could probably do. It would probably take him four hours to figure out what it is for bread. But we're looking at the things he would naturally look at, like Hey, what was my average sales recently? And what was I doing last year? And, you know, am I really trending up or down? And what's the weather outside? And all of that, right? But it would take him four hours to do it for a single data point. And we're able to replicate that same knowledge over and over again, you know, for all of the different data points. The additional learning side of it is just like a great general manager, it takes in new information the next day, looks at it, and makes a new decision, right? And gets smarter on that decision. So what we're doing, it shouldn't be, it's not scary, it's not Terminator, you know, Skynet's not coming. Like, it it really is like, hey, we've got, we're doing the same thing Bill's doing. If he was doing it himself, it's just, you don't have 40 hours in a day to have Bill looking at spreadsheets. I think this is a great way to position the product as well too, right? Because a lot of people think tech, software, that it's magic for the most part. What it largely is most of the time is an efficiency improvement or some form of automation, right? That's going to give you value back the way you just described it, right? You don't want to spend all of that time focusing on a single data point. Our system can largely automate a lot of that for you and give you some efficiency back. I, I can almost just hear our data scientists in the back of my mind just saying like, Matt, that's that's not exactly how that <laughs> I'm not sure it's a good example, but yeah, no, it, it resonates with the restaurants. <laughs> right. Yeah, different versions of telling the story depending on the audience, of course. And I I flip back and forth between both worlds because I come from a technical background, but I also geek out about the psychological element of describing your product and how it works and meeting your customers where you are, those types of elements. So it's really nice to have that complement because it can be easy for non-technical audiences to get lost in the weeds, right? But then on the other side, as you're describing and putting the pieces together, it's really important to get those right. So you said something interesting, you know, meeting the customer where they are. In my world, at least the world of restaurants, that couldn't be more true. Like there are better ways to do what we do. There are ways to get more accurate numbers. There is not a better way to operationalize or implement it. And we built out a solution that is, you know, very, you know, where the customer is and what they need. 
And I, I attribute a lot of our success to that. That's amazing. And I want people to really understand that point, right? Because I see a lot of B2B SaaS products, companies, founders trying to almost like invent the future, which I get it, right? And there's a time and a place for innovation. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be focused in that area, but at the end of the day, whatever you're building as a solution, you're going to have to sell it to a problem. And ideally, that's a painful problem that your target market is currently experiencing, which is an area where I wanted to go next in our conversation together. Because I heard you say, you know, from your experience managing the Jimmy John's franchises, that there was a problem that you were trying to solve there, which is, sounds like part of the, the inspiration for Clear Cogs and how you got started and essentially almost like a strategy. I talk about a lot solving your own problem. So if that's the case, let me know or clarify that if it isn't. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that part of the story. It's absolutely the case. I mean, this is one of those I started to learn the program and, you know, within a month was like, you mean to tell me that I was spending hours, you know, in the back of the stores trying to keep Excel spreadsheets up to date. And like some guy like my co-founder could have written five lines of code and just automated the whole thing. Like, are you kidding me? I, I remember, uh, you know, after kind of getting the, okay, I think there's an opportunity here, calling up my cousin and asking, you know, he's got, you know, six restaurants and said, hey, you know, what are you doing for like analytics and reporting and all that stuff? He's like, hey, Matt, like we were using the Excel spreadsheet you sent. You know, I'm like, the, the one from 2012? He's like, yeah, you know, everyone loves it. In fact, I share it with all the franchisees because they, you know, they love, you know, they, they don't have one. It's like, okay, you know, that's really interesting. Isn't that fascinating? The amount of times that I've heard that we, I also refer to it as the existing solution in terms of what your product is going to be compared against, like what you need to beat in order for them to start using your product and getting more value. The amount of times, I think the most popular existing solution throughout the course of my career has been an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's totally. almost always the case. Yeah. Without a question. Actually, I think the interesting thing is, you know, you, you I forget the exact term you used, but, you know, how good the product needs to be for somebody to use it. Um, so it's funny, but the bar I think was higher when we first started out and it's actually gotten lower as you know, we've been able to show more and more success with it. Uh, it's kind of like somehow inversely related. That's fascinating. And you also said that in that example, you gave that spreadsheet to someone, but the franchisees that they were in charge of managing some of them didn't even have a spreadsheet. So it probably is even a more archaic system than that, maybe clipboards and stuff, which uh, it could be easy for especially tech entrepreneurs to overthink this in terms of just assuming that we need to have like the most whiz bang ML AI type, you know, we got to fly the buzzwords at people kind of thing in order to make it go. But often than uh, more often than not, we're looking at, you can move the needle in a big way with something that is a lot simpler than that. All right. So my co-founder is the tech guy, multiple founder, you know, venture capital, the, the whole thing, right? And uh, it took me six months to convince him that this was the way the industry operated. And we're sitting there one day and we're on a call, we're doing customer research, talking to a general manager of a restaurant. And he's like, what, what, what's that behind your ear? Because they are, it's my pencil. It's like, why do you have a pencil? It's like, well, you know, this is my clipboard. Like, you know, I, I keep track of everything on my clipboard. And he's, yeah, he got off the call. He's like, you know, I live in a world where we're talking about putting computer chips in people's brains. Like, 
it, it just never even occurred to me that people are still using pens and pencils and writing things down. Like, you know, I use a stylus. It was like, yeah, that's, that's this world. That's fascinating. And so you just mentioned something else that I think is really important for people to focus on here too, as well, is that research, right? Getting to the customers. I mean, you are the customer, which I love, right? And I highly recommend other B2B SaaS founders leverage that strategy because you have lived this world, right? And that is a huge advantage for somebody working on a solution for a world in which you've lived and come from versus someone from outside the industry trying to innovate a solution around that. And the folks that try, just like you described, kind of the mindset that your co-founder was at before you started having those conversations with customers, it can be really difficult to kind of understand it as intimately as that. So something that's like second nature for you because you've lived it isn't for others that haven't been inside the industry that just assume like myself uh, coming, you know, I don't have as much experience there. I would have assumed potentially the same in that it may be more advanced or less uh, based on whatever my experience is probably coming from a different industry than what it actually is like, you know, on the ground. Yeah. I, one thing I'd add to that is, so I come from the world of small businesses. This is my first startup, right? My co-founder is experienced in this world. If we would have gone with what I wanted to do, we would have built a bloated system that you know was good enough and didn't solve one thing. I give all of the credit to my co-founder, Osa, for leading us the right direction and just saying, no, here's the pain point. You know, Our restaurants need to make more money. They need to make more money by being more efficient. They can't change their systems and procedures, right? We're going to focus on this one thing and we're going to do it well and we'll build from there. And then it was like, even to the delivery mechanisms, like, well, we need to build a platform. We need to have this, that, the other. It's like, no, we can just send them an email. Like they've told us flat out, they don't need the fancy bells and whistles. They just need the number. And so like today we send a daily morning briefing with all of the, the numbers that they want. And I was, was ashamed of this at first. I was like, oh, you know, we're all, we're going to build a platform. Our restaurants love it. They don't want another login. They don't want something else to deal with. Email works on everyone's phone. It's pushed to them. So like, you know, they don't have to go get it. It shows up for them. Like it's one of those, like, I, so I, when it comes to the whole, you know, product side, I do think there's a lot of knowledge in the industry and best practices that, you know, you know, play a part in it. That is fantastic strategy. Number one, and is significantly advanced as well too, in terms of how you're describing your co-founders approach, which I think is brilliant, right? It's so easy to over-engineer solutions. And we just assume, you know, add the spinning rims kind of thing, like might as well, like while you're in there, let's, let's automate everything. Right. And, but that singular focus on the top problem is what I've seen be one of the greatest strengths for most B2B SaaS companies that have achieved solid growth, especially earlier on in keeping software simple, which is something that I talk about a lot because it, you're already expecting people to make a change, right? Um, potentially from a clipboard to using a keyboard or a new piece of software or whatever. But the more bells and whistles that software has, the counterintuitive reality is that that's going to be harder for them to adopt rather than if it does something simple that's really important and it does it really well. Yeah, and we actually have the inverse relationship that I think you have in your mind. I actually am the guy that comes up with the 10 ideas a day that's like, we should do this, we should do this, like, you know, how about this? And he's the guy that says, 
We're not going to do nine of those. One of them we'll consider in two months. Like, you know, he's the, he's the gatekeeper on like, let's not float this thing. So I think I love that approach. Here's why, because you need the innovation because if you don't, right, you end up being stuck. And then if you're not moving forward, it's kind of like you're moving backwards type thing as other people can catch up to you, right? It depends on the industry, but that's potentially a general rule. However, the fact that you are constantly thinking about innovating means that you've got a laundry list of, for those customers that you have a relationship with, let's go to them and let's talk about whatever problems this list that we've been thinking about building might solve and then figure out, all right, which one, like you just said about your co-founder, is the one we should actually focus on because it's likely to actually move the needle, right? It's the next biggest problem that we've yet to address. I love that approach. And it sounds like you both have a great kind of relationship there where you're getting the best out of the strengths and then complementing each other where it's important to. Somebody once told me that the idea guy is great for the first two years. And then you, once you got something up and running, just like go lock them in a closet for five years. So that you <laughs> and the only thing I would adopt on that is, you know, it's about when you think of ideas and innovation, your mind goes to product. And that's not really the case. It's you got to shift from product ideas to how do we apply those ideas to sales? How do we apply those ideas to marketing? How do we apply those ideas to relationship management? It's really about where you focus the innovation um, and, and really try and like constrain yourself on the product side. Excellent point. And refining that as well, too, I couldn't agree more with. This is why when I'm typically doing discovery or I'm, I'm learning more about companies that have done that, I love an area of focus on quantifying like the impact of the existing problem that we're proposing solving, better understanding how much time we may give them back, how much it might move the needle for them, and then what it might be worth to them, right? Does it move the needle for us? As in, is it going to impact ClearCog's bottom line? Are we going to be able to charge more for it? Is that going to help us add new customers because of that feature is worth that much more, right? How does it move the needle from a business perspective? we got to remember that at the end of the day, it's still not a hobby, right? We're running a business, so we need to focus on things that are going to move the needle. So let me give you an example on how we innovate and how we actually make determinations of what products, features we do. Love so it. back in December, ChatGPT or November, ChatGPT came out, right? So interesting, we cover AI, sustainability, and restaurants. Helen within AI, we wrote a little blog piece on it. Got a little web traffic, like, okay, that's interesting. So we write another one. It got even more web traffic. So we wrote a third one. The third one literally ranked on the, I think it ranks top page of Google for 500 terms still. It's been like five months or four months. It drives 10,000 people to our website every month. Um, and it was like, okay. I think we went from uh, like uh, 20,000 impressions on Google in December to 2.8 million in January. It's like, that's amazing. Crazy. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's interesting. There's clearly pull for this. So we went and we checked out, you know, preliminarily, is this something we can do? How can we use it? We, our whole product is how do we answer questions, you know, take data and answer questions for your operation. So this was ultimately where we were going to go, but it's, do you want to speed it up? So we said, okay, let's go put a, and all of your uh, SaaS people hate this. My co-founder hates it. It was our uh, beta pilot. I guess that's a, a, a <laughs> beta thing. Uh, I liked it, made sense to me, and I'm on the restaurant side, so I figured it made sense to the restaurants. And, you know, we signed up uh, 100 restaurants for it. 
It was like, okay, now all of a sudden we ought to take even a harder look. We still have yet to build anything at this point, you know, outside of kind of playing around. We then went and talked with a hundred customers about what they wanted, right? And I guess at this point we started building. At the end of the day, most of them bought our current product and they loved the, the, the you know, chat GPT thing, but like it wasn't adding direct bottom line value to them. And so it was like, okay, this is still really interesting. We should still develop it, but it doesn't need to be this second, right? And we can take our time. We can do more customer interviews and see where this fits. And, you know, it's something that we literally, you know, are slowly building up and we're still talking to customers and figuring out that that the actual product ends up looking like. But, um, you know, had all 100 came back and said, this is the product, right? Like, and I'll pay you 10, you know, 10, 10 times what we're paying for the other thing. And I don't want the other thing. You better believe we would have pivoted, dropped what we were doing and moved on to that. Love that. That's such a great lesson for folks to hear as well, too, because it's easy to panic when big changes happen in your industry, tech evolves, whatever, but there's a balance that you can strike. And you just articulated a great example, right? Where you can explore the boundaries of that but not turn the table over immediately until the data points to what you should actually do, right? And that's exactly what you did. So I love that as a strategy. It's a great lesson for others as well. And, and I would tack on to that. That's not a result of me. So my co-founder would build nothing. He would be like, we're not going to get distracted. I would be distracted and build everything. Finding a co-founder, a partner, you know, somebody within your organization that can be the yin to your yang, that can be your counterbalance is, you know, I, I, I came as a one-man show from running restaurants and owning restaurants. And like, this is the first time I've worked with a partner. I don't know how I would do it without. Like, it, I think it's been one of the biggest assets. That's an excellent point. And I think I've seen a lot of folks that when they look for like a co-founder, they try to find someone like themselves. I think that's a mistake for the exact reason you just mentioned, right? It's kind of like, let's sound like a marriage, right? But a business version of a marriage and you're trying to figure out how I can complement an area where they may not have a strength, but their strength then complements areas where I have the same gap. And, and, you know, one more thing that I throw out there since we're on the subject, you know, the greatest existential risk our company faces is the relationship between me and my co-founder. Right. Like, and that goes for a lot of companies. Like we invest heavily in that. Uh, we've got a business coach that acts as, you know, uh, sorry, Scott, kind of our, you know, founder therapist that we meet with, you know, once every two weeks and, you know, it keeps us aligned. It keeps us, you know, having healthy conversations. We have one of the strongest partnerships I know, and we continue to invest in it. Amazing. Love it. There's so many questions that I have for you. But I don't want to go too far past uh, time for this episode. Love to have you back to talk more, a lot more about ClearCog. Because there's so many things we worth exploring. The, we could do the full Joe Rogan three and a half hours. Right? That must be nice because you can just explore everything. Right? Uh, and then you just chop out whatever's great from the episode, which seems to seems to work pretty well. So, yeah, I'll, I'll look into I that. I wonder how sure. long those really are. You think those are six hours? Right? I just imagine that like when he gets up, he just press record. And then when he goes back to bed, he just stops. <laughs> Maybe at some point it'll just never stop. But it does seem to be a lot of uh, a lot of content. Uh, but that's the name of the game these days. So anything else, uh, Matt, you want to share with us before we get on to kind of next steps for this episode here and talk more about where people can go to learn more, 
uh, like, you know, maybe where ClearCogs is at now or what's coming next. Anything you want to share with folks? Yeah, well, we're going to have a study released in the next couple of weeks that we're really, really excited about. Um, you know, we're offering a SaaS style product. And like many SaaS style products, you know, it started off largely consultative, you know, and as we got that, you know, motion figured out, we automated more and more of it to the point where a customer can now do it on their own. And so we entered a really interesting phase this year where, you know, onboarding for a new customer went from six weeks to one day on basically a 30 minute call. And then they got to build their own thing. And so um, where I'm going with this is like, we just started getting these studies back and, you know, it's a time in our journey where, you know, we fought through a lot of, you know, adversity and screwed up a lot of things and learned a lot of the hard ways. And now all of a sudden, like, I got a restaurant group that's saving $2,000 a week in a single unit by man, you know, just like on prep sheets they built on our platform. And it's, it's almost, uh, um, it's almost like a, a foreign concept at this point that, that like, you know, that's, that's come to fruition, but um, you know, I, that that's kind of where we're at and we're in total growth mode and everybody's kind of like all of a sudden, once you get everything aligned, it really does kind of click and it just takes off. So it's exciting. Exciting and excellent advice. I encourage anyone who's listened to this episode to really think about what Matt just shared in terms of the approach that they've taken and how that's led to the success that they've had. Because if I could shout that from the rooftops all day, every day I would, <laughs> to get more people to understand that that approach you just described can be super effective, right? Is it might be, might not be as obvious, but Man, like starting with deep diving deep into those businesses, finding the bottlenecks in the processes, figuring out how to automate them, make them more efficient, and then getting better and faster at it as you make progress along the way it can be super effective. So thank you for sharing that advice. The next question I was going to have for you is, right, who should be thinking about Clear Cogs for themselves or their business? Where can they go to kind of learn more, uh, check out the product, stuff like that? Yeah, look, so you can go to clearcogs.com. Uh visit our website. There's a place to actually book a meeting on the website. We love talking with restaurants. We will talk with just about any type of restaurant, but we love the QSR fast casual, you know, uh, assemble to order models. You know, we do incredibly well with things like how many bagels do I need to bake today? Or I'm a barbecue place. How many briskets do I need to throw on tomorrow? But there's a lot of really interesting, like, you know, more fine dining type places that have really interesting prep processes where it's, hey, we cure this for a day and then we braise it for a day and then it's got a 36 hour shelf life. And, you know, that seems relatively simple, but it's actually like a really complex operations management problem because, you know, they're not logging all of this. So you have to make determinations, you know, based on, you know, some assumptions. And, uh, but yeah, no, we talk, love to talk with any restaurant, um, how to percentage off your food costs. Let's get it from 30% to 29 moving big needles in a significant way. And then how about in terms of who should be thinking about reaching out to you and how can those folks get in touch? Yeah, so you can reach out to me also uh, uh, on the website, schedule a meeting and uh, I will try and make it. Otherwise, feel free to send me an email. Uh, you can reach me at info at clearcogs.com and um, I, that'll, that'll come right over to my inbox and we'll get back to you. Amazing. Thank you for being here, Matt, and sharing your knowledge and experience with myself and our audience. Hey, Sean, thank you for doing this. This is great. Keep it up. Thanks for listening to this episode of Product Launch. I hope you got value out of it. 
I like to feature product people on my podcast because that's who I love to help. I'm a product strategist and I can help you scale your business and grow your profit through a product. If you'd like to learn more about how I can help you, email me at sean at nextstep.io. That's sean, S-E-A-N, at nextstep, N-X-T-S-T-E-P dot I-O. Or visit my website at nextstep.io. That's N-X-T-S-T-E-P dot I-O. Hey folks, Sean here, and thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you did, I'd encourage you to also sign up for my free five-day email course about launching a profitable B2B SaaS application for less than $750. If you'd like to sign up for that course, you can do so at nextstep.io forward slash B2B SaaS.